Welcome to Matriarch Rising, a podcast for the modern-day woman awakening to her soul's purpose while she journeys on the transformational path from maiden to mother to crone. My name is Arinda, and I am your podcast host. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. Your support means the world. Thank you so much for being here. Hello, dear one. This is Arinda, your host, and I welcome you to another episode of the Matriarch Rising podcast. Today, I share with you my very first podcast interview here of many to come, and I feel honored and grateful for the opportunity to bring you this very special episode. Tune in to listen to this rich conversation I had earlier this year with my dear friend, fellow yogi and mama, Dr. Erika Matluck. She is a modern medicine woman and the creator of Seven Senses, which is a holistic framework for healing and transformation. Erika is trained as a naturopathic doctor, a family nurse practitioner, Reiki master, and multidisciplinary yoga instructor. Combining over a decade of experience working in conventional and alternative medicine, She brings a truly holistic lens to well-being, addressing the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual aspects of health. Ancient wisdom and Eastern philosophy thread through all of Erica's work, which has been featured in Harper's Bazaar, Mind Body Green, Well and Good, Vogue, and Women's Health. She is one of the humans I feel deeply inspired by who walks their talk and brings so much depth and beauty to this world. Erica's Instagram, Experience Seven Senses, is an aesthetically and poetically rich online space full of musings on the intersection of health and spirituality, definitely worthy of binge scrolling. In this conversation, we discuss many things like the maiden to mother journey informed by the chakra's energy system and discovering what true devotion really means through the initiation to motherhood. We also touch on subjects like navigating this 3D world as multidimensional beings while weaving body, mind, heart, and soul in the experience. We also touch on the full spectrum of holistic health what it truly means to heal yourself and integrate all parts of you as you prepare for motherhood. Lastly, we also talk about what it looks like to be the stewards of the next generation as parents, while also continuing to serve our dharma in the world. Erica and her partner, Paul, lead some amazing retreats in some of the most beautiful places in the world. Their next retreat will be in Ibiza, in June 2023. To explore more of Erica's work, her upcoming retreats and courses, and to work with her or connect with her, you can do so on her website and Instagram. Links to both will be in the show notes. Without further ado, I present you today's episode, my interview with Dr. Erica Matluck. Enjoy. Hello, Erica. Welcome to Matriarch Rising. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you talk about 
um, a variety of topics today informed by the chakra system and specifically talking about spirituality and motherhood and how your work, which we'll get into it in a little bit, has informed and has inspired this path of motherhood for you. Let's start, if you want to share with us about who you are, who you are in the world, a little bit of your work and your arrival to motherhood. Sure. It's funny, just even the last little part of that question, my arrival into motherhood, that could be a very, very long story. But to keep it relatively brief, my background is uh, as a naturopathic doctor, a nurse practitioner, body worker, Reiki master. I've carried a lot of different titles in the world of healing arts and healthcare over the years and these days I more refer to myself as a holistic doctor or a holistic teacher really because what I've come to do with my work is develop this holistic framework that helps people really understand how the physical experience of being in a body connects with our thoughts and beliefs or the mental aspect of the self, the emotions and the emotional aspect of the self, and then of course who we are spiritually. So I use this framework and whether we're applying it to someone's health goals in terms of physical health or healing from a diagnosis, or we're applying that to becoming a mother or changing their career path or meeting their soulmate, it sort of works the same way. And it's really about using the, using the technology of the self as a holistic technology really to create anything you want. So that's what I do now. It used to be a more in the healthcare setting and when I arrived to the healthcare setting, I had over a decade of experience in energy work and body work and yoga. And then I spent my decade in conventional healthcare, really looking at how some of those different themes impacted different diagnoses. And over that period of time, I developed my own framework and way of working with people. And now it's a little bit more of health meets spirituality, even though if you asked me, I would say those are one and the same thing. But if you look at the way the wellness industry and the mainstream looks at these different topics of health and wellness versus spirituality and personal development, I would say that my work is really at the intersection of the two. And your work, which is what initially drew me to you, called Seven Senses. It's this new paradigm of care that you've created and personal and collective journey, as you state that in your website, that includes mind, body, heart, spirit through that symbolic lens of the seven chakras. And the chakras have been a system that I've been really fascinated by for years through my yoga journey. And it was the topic that initially drew me to you when I first encountered your account online years ago. What really, really hit home for me, that connection human to human, was a specific post you had shared about motherhood as a devotional path. And I'm going to read a little bit of that. Sure. Um, it's a beautiful long post, but the part that I'm going to read here is when you talk about your son being born, Orion. 
And quote, you say then, Orion was born and my orientation to the world shifted instantly. My dharma multiplied and being his caretaker became my priority and greatest honor of my life. I thank him for choosing me every day. So rather than rushing back to work, hustling to grow my biz or sitting in front of the computer writing a book proposal, I've spent the last 10 months being with Orion, learning how to be his mama and what it really means to do it well. Now you wrote this many, many months ago. Orion was around 10 months. So now he is coming close to becoming two. Mm-hmm. And our children are very close in age, by the way, and they really connect and relate when they get together. So I'm wondering how, where you at right now, these many months later, how does this feel looking back where you've come so long from that and yet you're still here you will always be his mama and you will always be this other holistic version of you that is also mama and also naturopath and also a scientist and also a spiritual person also practitioner so i'm wondering what does that how does that feel what does that look like day to day you blending all those parts of you and showing up in the world with the work that you do which is pretty transformational Yeah, I wrote that a while ago, and listening to you read it, not that much has changed, you know? I think it's really complicated, this motherhood thing, you know? And it's complicated for modern women who, you know, I had my son at 42, so I had spent a lot of years developing who I was and my work and my career and and really getting connected with what I felt to be my purpose in the world. And then all of a sudden you separate. I mean, actually, I would say that Orian and I are not quite separate yet, but we're moving in that direction. And all of a sudden it's like your dharma is twofold. You have this purpose that I spent so many years developing and feeling connected to and then I have this new purpose which is keeping him safe taking care of him and being a steward of his life and his growth and those things are often in competition I think probably any mama would say the same thing where the even even down to the very basic needs my need for sleep and his need for comfort (laughs) in my boob are often in competition and I don't really think there's an answer as a mom I'm constantly just trying to navigate uh, that line of when do I have to choose me and when do I have to put my needs second to put his first and I think that for every mother and every child that balance looks slightly different so there's not really a rule book or a book you can read to tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. But what gives me great peace is knowing that he chose me to be his mom. So if anyone's going to do it right, it's going to be me. I'm the only one who can possibly Mm -hmm. know how to do that dance. And I imagine you and I, as moms of children of similar age, we could have this conversation again in five years, in 10 years, and I'll bet our answers to this would keep changing, but there would probably still be a common thread 
or at least that's what I gather from talking to mothers who have older children. But just to speak to this balance and this juggle of being an entrepreneur, having a business, having a business that's deeply intimate with the people that I work with, and then also being present with him, I'm finding that it it took me over 18 months to really feel like I could show up as myself, the self that I know in my work and have a greater capacity. I felt like before he was born, my capacity as an entrepreneur and a business owner and a practitioner was expanding, expanding, expanding. And then he was born and so much of my presence and my attention and my energy were focused on him that I really didn't have the capacity to grow as a professional. Even though I would also say becoming a mother has been great growth as a practitioner, but in terms of my business and how I hold space for people, I needed to sort of contract in that way of of being in the world for a little while because even as a practitioner of meditation and yoga and you know all of the so much learning and study and spiritual traditions i didn't know what presence was until i became a mother i really had no idea what it meant to really be present with someone all of you, all of me but now i'm in a really beautiful place because he's almost 2 he has a little bit more independence I have the most incredible nanny slash friend slash sister slash part of my family. And now it's like I'm coming back to my work as a new practitioner because I have this understanding of presence and I've learned so much from being his mom that I feel like now as I'm returning to who I am in my work, the expansion is moving very fast. There's a whole new way of uh, taking on, a whole new way of capacity of finding and stretching ourselves as mothers once we figure out how to juggle having a child and raising a child and being a partner and resuming or showing up as a different version of ourselves to back to our work. So I'm really, really fascinated by the way you do that. And I want to touch a little bit on, you spoke about Orion choosing you as a mother, and there's a beautiful story I know of how he came to this world, of how he chose you and how you and your partner, your husband, Paul, conceived him and all of that. So I wonder if you wanted to share just maybe the abbreviated <laughs> story of that. You shared a post a long time ago. Yeah. His spirit first came to me in a plant medicine ceremony in 2019 and even gave me two date options of when he wanted to be conceived. Not he wasn't a he in that in that interaction, but now he's a he, so I'll <laughs> refer to him as he. And it was a, a deep part of our practice, both as a couple and individually, to be working with, with plant teachers and ceremony. And right before we were planning to conceive in a ceremony, we both 
got the same message from a tree in the Amazon that basically called us and said, you know, you have to come down to Peru, you have to come to the jungle, and you have to do a traditional dieta with me before you conceive. Or I, I don't even like the words have to, it was more of like a, an invitation. And my understanding, without getting too much into what a dieta is in the process, but my understanding of the invitation was, it was basically like, come merge with me so my consciousness will be a part of both of you so when you conceive the child he or she at that point will be of the plants and will have also the consciousness of of the plant world and we both feel very strongly which i i think you and i have talked about this before these these new people coming into the world our children they are going to live in a very different world than we did we, we do, we have. And I, I really, really strongly believe that the, the consciousness and awareness of the plants is a very, very important tool for them to build the future that they're going to be here to build. So that when we got the invitation, it felt really important. And knowing Paul and I, you know that we were on a plane very soon after that. And we did this beautiful dieta in, in the jungle. I say beautiful, but it was very hard and quite an initiation and challenging in many, many ways. But we very much came out with this deep, deep connection to a master plant that we felt we feel is the third parent. So of course we came back, we had some plans of when we were going to conceive and then COVID came and we were in New York City and sort of the epicenter. So we decided to hold off for a little while. And then a few months later when we were ready, Paul's father was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer and we really wanted the two to meet. So, you know, I, in anyone that I work with around fertility, I always share this. We never tried to conceive. We never used the word trying. We just did it. And we did it with intention on the first attempt. <laughs> I say that with quotes. And, and I knew right away that I was pregnant and we're both also kundalini yogis and in the kundalini tradition the 120th day of pregnancy is when the soul comes into form they really commit to do this together and so I had my day 120 marked on my calendar and I had been thinking about all the things I wanted to do on that day to honor this special moment and Paul's father passed on the 120th day of my pregnancy as with us present and I very very much knew that the two souls ushered each other in and out of form and I felt as if Paul and I got a front row seat into the the great perfection of the mystery you know how intelligent and non-coincidental it all is and that stays with me every day really knowing that there's, this is no accident that when he arrived, how he arrived, that he is our son, 
I know very, very deeply in my heart that there's purpose and meaning in all of it. So that's the short version. <laughs> Thank you. I really appreciate you sharing that. I think it's such a beautiful story and such a beautiful example of the way I perceive your work to be this combination of some really deep, concrete work, like hands-on work in this 3D world, a lot of healing, and also at the same time this ethereal kind of connection to the universe, to these other realms that that most of, you know, day-to-day -day we don't really think about so much, and a lot of people might not even be connected to that, but it is ultimately part of us, part of our being as, as holistic beings, right? So that brings me a little bit to the point of your work. So I want to talk a little bit about Seven Senses. And as we mentioned earlier, your background is very multifaceted, both in the more conventional medicine and the, the I guess holistic would include the conventional medicine, but also in energy work and other types of modalities. So I want to talk a little bit about that. If you want to share, what does your work look like? And also keeping in mind that newer version of you, how you're showing up with your clients now with that different perspective that you have as a mother as well. Yeah, you know, you said that really nicely. I'm a bridge. That's part of the role I've always played. I was the person who worked in a very, very conventional medical environment and was able to speak to rooms full of conventionally trained doctors about the emotional field, right? Or I, in my time in, in conventional medicine, I built a group program where we taught breath work and meditation and mindfulness and contemplative practices to patients with anxiety. And so this is one of my gifts or one of the things that just comes natural to me, being able to kind of speak the language of, in this case, the conventional medical paradigm, but also to really be connected to, to this other other way of, of healing, really. You know, and, and for me, that it stems back to very early on that my interest in alternative and complementary medicine really started when my mother passed. She died when I was 11. She had lung cancer. And that really opened the door to the unseen realms for me. I, I felt my mother my whole life, even though she wasn't with me in a body. And that really drove me in ways that at the time I couldn't see, but now seeing who I've become and how I practice and how I relate to the world, I realize how important that that was. And so that brings me to really just this idea of what is, and I love the way you caught yourself when you said, you started to define sort of alternative medicine as holistic and then you said but that actually includes conventional medicine and that's such a perfect segue for me because one of the the places i really focus in my work is getting really clear on what 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 are the boundaries of the whole right and so you see a lot of people out there talking about doing holistic work a holistic doctor a holistic coach or holistic this or that but I don't understand what whole are they referring to. And so for me, 
I geek out on that, right? I'm really interested. And there's nothing wrong with the whole ending with the skin, right? I could be, when I practiced in the conventional environment, uh, most of my work was with physical illness and physical processes. And I spent a lot of time ordering functional lab tests and talking about digestion and immune function and hormones, right? And a lot of what was holistic for me at that time was from the perspective of the root chakra, the body. I would say my work in the conventional setting moved into the levels of the sacral and the solar plexus because I was also doing a lot of mind-body work, right? And even in conventional medicine, we're working with the placebo effect. What are your beliefs and your thoughts about what's possible, about your healing? And then, of course, anytime we're working with emotion, which is really chemistry, right? Serotonin binding to receptors, oxytocin, dopamine, all the good things. That is the endocrine system. That's sort of the bridge between the emotional and the physical body. So I think of that as the sacral orientation. But so what it comes down to for me is... The idea of the whole is dynamic. And, you know, I write a lot about the chakras. I, and I use them as sort of an archetypal lens for the self. So I like using the chakras as a framework because for any situation, illness, for anything really, it gives me seven different perspectives. Seven, di seven different vantage points to look at myself, to look at the world, to look at reality. And I could apply that to anything. I could apply that to my business. I could apply that to motherhood. I can apply that to autoimmune conditions. But when it comes to the application of that to holistic medicine or holistic practice, there are seven different holes. When we're up at the crown, if I'm working up there, I'm thinking about the astrological transits, right? I'm thinking about great cosmic cycles and shifts that are happening as above, so below. The fact that our, the sun, a great celestial body up there, impacts the release of melatonin and cortisol from my pineal and, and adrenal glands, right? So... That's one perspective of the whole. It includes the moon and the stars and everything in between. Whereas at the root chakra, it's really about my body and the physical boundaries of self. And we could kind of go up the chakras and I can define the boundaries of each one. And practice looks very differently, right? So, so much of, for me, everything is balancing out the art and the art and the science of it. And the science of it for me is like, how does it work? For example, if we're talking about your healing from the perspective of the throat chakra, it works through sound, right? It works through, through my words, which are spells, abracadabra, right? And so if I'm trying to heal my autoimmune or no let's let's stick to motherhood because that's our theme if i'm trying to get pregnant and from the level of the throat chakra my language is all around how i'm trying to get pregnant i create a future state where i'm trying to get pregnant if i want to use my throat chakra 
For my goal, I want to change my language and say, I am pregnant. I am a mother. Right? And so that's the science of it. That's how it works. And we can get into more science of that. We can get into the science of mantra, right? Which the Vedics and Rishis and ancients all knew about, that when we chant mantra, we start to vibrate the sphenoid bone, and that impacts the anterior pituitary, which releases different stimulating hormones, which impacts our fertility, right? Or, or our hormonal states, and that can mean a lot of different things for different tissues. But there is a science to all of this. And then there's also an art to it. And for me, in my work, I would say the great art is knowing where to begin and then where to work from, right? So I had a practice in the financial district in New York City for several years. A lot of the patients who walked into my practice, I couldn't start up here at the third eye or the crown talking about the moon and the stars and the astrological transits and how that affects their you know, digestive health. I needed to start down at the root right? This is how your body works. This is, you know, we need to use our senses to identify how do I feel when I eat McDonald's versus, you know, a, a salad. The root chakra level or the physical experience, it's, just, it's very sensory. So, so much of the art is knowing where to begin, where to work from, and then where to go from there. The art of the practice, one way to talk about that is from the chakras, right? And which one am I looking from? And honestly, with a lot of my clients or patients, I don't tell them that. I'm not like, oh, I'm working from the solar plexus right now. Some of them are really interested in that. You know, some people find me on Instagram and they saw my writing and they really want to know that kind of stuff. But for a lot of people, I don't even bring that into the conversation but personally I'm aware of where I'm working from but another way to look at that too is I think of the holistic self as having four quadrants physical mental emotional spiritual and why I think that that's so important is because we relate to ourselves and the world differently through those four quadrants of self and so part of the art of my work is figuring out when someone comes to me and they have a goal, which one of those places do we need to start in? And I consider my work holistic in the sense that in our work together, we are absolutely going to touch all four of those quadrants. But the great art is where do we begin? Which is the doorway in? And I need to know where I am because, for example, if it's the physical, we want to start using physical tools. That could be some sort of sensory awareness practice. That could be taking supplements, changing diet. Um, it could be certain yoga poses. It could be a medication, right? Versus if someone comes to me and it seems clear that they truly do not believe that healing is possible. If that's the case, whatever tools I throw at them, supplements, medications, practices, it's not going to work 
because their mind is really in our way. So then I would start with the mental quadrant, really looking at what are your thoughts and beliefs about yourself and your healing process and what's possible for you and where does that come from? How do we start to become aware of that and restructure those belief systems? Because if we try and work somewhere else, when your mind has made its mind up that this isn't possible, we can't go anywhere together, right? And so, so much of the art is deciding where to, to begin and then once we get the big block out of the way or once we find the doorway in it becomes easier to move into these other quadrants Mm -hmm. one of the challenges i often found in working in conventional medicine is that it's really hard to find practitioners that really think about the way that these four quadrants work and how differently we operate in each one. And so oftentimes I would have a patient come in that was say, working with some complex medical condition, let's say PCOS or something, or infertility. And they tell me, I'm working with my reproductive endocrinologist doing all these things on the physical plane. I'm working with an acupuncturist and a Reiki master and maybe a coach that's helping me in this spiritual dimension. I'm working with a therapist. We're talking about, you know, my mental and emotional well-being. But the problem with this is each one of these practitioners may have a different goal, right? So the reproductive endocrinologist just wants to get you pregnant. That's their goal. That's what success looks like to them. The therapist may want to get you to a place where you feel at peace regardless of what happens. And then, you know, the energy work practitioners might be working in totally different realms, just trying to balance out the energy and bring about, you know, a balanced energetic structure. And if we don't have someone, whether it's a practitioner or just you, or the two of you saying, this is where we want to go. This is what healing looks like. This is where we're directing all the efforts. Then you end up in this tug of war of self. My physical quadrants working in this direction, my spiritual quadrants working in this direction, my mental and emotional quadrants are working in another direction. And there's nowhere for me as a whole being to go. I'm stuck. So a lot of what I do in my work is I clean up that mess, right? People come to me, they've been working with so many different people, and I help the patient or the client to get really clear on where do you want to go and how do we get all four of these quadrants working in that direction. And honestly, Arinda, I practiced not in this system for a very long time. When you can really do this and get those four quadrants of self using the appropriate tools and language to move the self in that direction, it's truly miraculous. It really does happen and you move toward your goal. 
It's a little easier said than done, right? Because some of that work is retraining your belief systems, right? Some of that work requires dedicated practice. Some of it requires big lifestyle changes. But what I can sort of promise is the science of it. I know how to do it, right? And then, of course, the great work is sticking to the how mm -hmm. to actually get the results. Mm -hmm. Embodying the new version, right? Because exactly. It's ultimately, not just about the end goal, but the healing that would stick with you if you were to commit to this work and to continue on, because it's not a one and done, it's not a magical pill. And it's interesting you use the word miraculous because I feel like we have been conditioned to think of these transformations as miraculous, as one of a kind in the way because they're not very common, because most commonly we are just focusing on one of those quadrants like you mentioned, and most of the times likely the physical one with the conventional aspect of things. So coming back to talking about the seven senses, referring to the seven chakras, the seven energy centers of the body, I'm curious if you want to share a little bit about where do you see the maiden to mother transition happening and how that affects these, these centers or vice versa, how that transition is affected by chakras? Yeah, great question. So I, I, I always like to start by saying that we're sort of bringing something that's multidimensional into a very linear way of thinking. And I, that's my little disclaimer because we're, we are interacting with the world and ourselves through all seven of these centers all the time, right? All these perspectives are there. But what I like to bring into the conversation is what I'm really talking about is where is our awareness? At any given moment, I could come up to my crown chakra and I could sort of see the world from that perspective, or I could be in my, you know, solar plexus and see the world from that perspective. But, but even though I'm isolating them like that, I think it's important to remember that we're everywhere all the time. With that said, The maiden to mother journey, in my opinion and my experience, is, is the journey through the heart, 100%. I thought I knew what devotion was. I thought I knew what love was. I thought I knew what having my heart cracked open was. And I did. But becoming a mother is a different level of it. It's a different layer. And I feel like I really understood all of that more from the experience of the lower chakras, right? So let's think about it like this. If we put the heart as the bridge between the lower self and the higher self, and I don't use those terms hierarchically, but I use them as just like the root sacral and solar plexus chakra are below the throat third eye and crown. And I think of them like this. The heart is always the bridge. It's the bridge from the separate self that says, I am Erica. These are the, my skin are the boundaries of myself. I'm in competition with you for resources in the world. And I, you know, am 
interested in me as a separate being. And then when we cross at the heart, we merge, right? So that's where I become, or me becomes we. And as we move up the system, we're moving closer to unity consciousness, right? We're moving closer to the one, you know, and you as a, as a yogi, it's like the, the Shiva and the Shakti, right? The Shiva being the one where we are all connected, we're all a unified being, and then Shakti being where we fall to and experience the world as a separate being with boundaries and senses. A lot of the time in in you know spiritual or metaphysical communities, I feel like there is sort of this talk or this tone that being in the upper chakras or being closer to unity consciousness is better or the goal. But I like to push back on that because, you know, in yogic speak, the rishis believed that a soul's greatest honor was to be born into a body. And the sensory experience of the world, especially watching our children, it's incredible. You know, you watch our kids eat an avocado and they touch it and they feel it. It's not convenient for us cleaning it up. But the way that they interact with the world, it just reminds me what a blessing, what a gift it is to be in a body. So all this, you know, drive to ascend and get into the third eye and move beyond time and space and get back to unity consciousness becomes ridiculous when you watch a baby because they are just showing us how incredible it is to experience reality in a body. Of course, we know there are lots of limitations and that comes with pain and suffering, but it also comes with great joy and pleasure. So back to the maiden to mother journey, the heart is this very important center, even if we put maiden to mother journey aside. It's this part of the self where we move from the seen world to the unseen realms. It's where the boundaries dissolve of of self as other. And so with that comes responsibility, integrity, devotion, and service, right? Because already when we cross the bridge of the heart, we're moving from an orientation to self that is like me-centered to an orientation to self that knows that we're one. So anything that I do that impacts you or everything that I do impacts you, so I bring quite a bit of integrity and responsibility to myself and the world. So that's already, you know, part of the system. You know, and then when you put that in terms of made into mother, I'm sure you can relate to this. My orientation to self shifted instantly. Mm-hmm. Yes. In so many ways, even my, even fashion, I haven't even bought myself new clothes, right? For two years, I'm like, oh, I want to get these cute, you know, new things for my son. And a very more superficial example or, or me coming from my sacral, I could say, but it's down to the physical reality of it where when you're pregnant, It's really the one time in our lives, except when we're in the womb, 
I guess the second time in our lives where we experience self as more than one person. The, there, we are one, literally, true unity. And even after they're born, you know, as a breastfeeding mama, you're still one. I've only been away from my son once for three days and I could feel it in my body when he missed me, when he was hungry. So it really is a true example of how time and space doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. We are that connected. And, you know, when you become a mother, if you pay attention, you know that in a way that you couldn't have really known it before. Mm -hmm. Because when else in your body have you really, really felt that? And... You know, before I became a mother, I used to think a lot about the devotional path. I had a bhakti yoga practice for 20 years where I came to my mat and I dedicated my efforts to someone or something that was not me. And I really thought I had devotion figured out. And I also thought about devotion as this beautiful, aesthetically beautiful thing. Mala beads and, you know, beautiful scenes of women on retreat in beautiful dresses. And then I had my son. And it's like, oh, this is devotion. And there is nothing aesthetically beautiful about it. I'm covered in breast milk. I haven't taken a shower in weeks, you know. 100% devotion to him. And I don't know if that ever ends. I think it probably changes and maybe becomes less physical. But when you see how connected you are, you also see how impactful you are. And for me, that really challenged me to clean up some of my some of my thought patterns that, you know, weren't super positive or supportive to really stay aware of my energy and my emotional field. And it really has inspired us to bring a gratitude practice and and prayer into rituals like dinner. It's not always aesthetically beautiful, but it's really, really deep devotion. Mm -hmm. It resonates so much with all this that you're sharing and how much our practices shift from maiden to mother. I, my experience was that during my maiden time, I was very much in the higher chakras. I feel like I was so much there that at times I didn't really feel like belonging in the, the physical realm in this earth, on this earth. And the experience of pregnancy and birth really brought me into my body. It really grounded me onto this plane and even just the, the survival need, right? To, to be alive, to keep your child alive. That alone made, gave a whole new meaning to me of the root chakra and the lower chakras, as we say. I finally understood why we have those and appreciating and accepting that Shakti energy more than just the feminine flowy energy that I thought of before to be Shakti. And when you're talking about the devotion, the true devotion, the true devotional practice being that of a mother, 
that was a game changer. I really thought I knew what love and devotion was before. I think we come from similar practices and experiences before motherhood. And just being with my child, just seeing in his eyes, everything else could be ugly and messy and dirty, but that beauty, the aesthetic beauty you're talking about, I see that in his eyes. And that's, I could stop time right there. Mm, said so beautifully. And I, I love the way you use the example of birth and as coming back into your body because it's the opening of the heart is this stretching, right? The, the true root to rise. Nothing puts you more in your body than birth, labor. And at the same time, there's this ongoing thing as a mother, which I'm sure you can relate to. On the one hand, you want to have control right you want to keep them safe you want to keep them alive and there's a lot of agency in that I I want to make the right decisions for my child to you know support him in his becoming and then we all hit these moments where we can't control it right he walks outside with someone who is not me and I can't control what happens but I care so much right and there's nothing to do but fall to your knees and pray Mm -hmm. to the great mother so on the one hand I feel motherhood put me so much in my body from labor to breastfeeding and on the other hand I'm more connected to God than I ever thought possible because I can't control everything for him, but all I want is for him to have a blessed life, you know? So it's like this stretching of self where I'm reaching up to the crown, you know, asking the great mother to, you know, watch over my son And I'm reaching down into the roots to be as grounded as I can for him, to take care of him, to make him feel safe, to develop secure attachment. And what that results in is a stretching of the heart in every direction. Expansion. Mm -hmm. Expansion. And opening, you know, and increasing what, you know, my capacity to love, which of course is the first lesson of motherhood. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. <laughs> I can't believe I can love something this much. It's incredible. I realize we're coming up to our time, so I wanted to summarize a little bit of what we shared, but also ask what you would, if you, if you were to suggest to either new mothers or women who want to become mothers, where to start about integrating all of their different parts of themselves to preparing a way for motherhood or to become more present if they are already here to what motherhood has to offer both in the experience and the healing potential of it. I would say reorient your definition of balance across time and space. So in other words, rather than thinking balance means I have to do and integrate all these different parts of myself myself in one time, 
stretch out time and give yourself time for the pendulum to swing really far in one direction and trust that it will swing equally far in the other direction and over time you will come into some degree of balance because I think that there is an element in this process where we have to lose ourselves for a little while and allow ourselves to be in love with our children and to be present there if that's what feels right before we kind of come up for air and see who we are as mothers mm-hmm. or as pregnant women, you know, or, you know, whatever part of this process you're in. But so, you know, there's an element of just trust yourself and know that it's all perfect and you might not be able to do it all at one time and that's okay because there's time. And as you climb into this perspective of the upper chakras, that's one of the beautiful gifts. Time dissolves. So rather than being the best mother, partner, entrepreneur, you know, seven figure this, etc., etc., all the roles I want to be, all the archetypes I want to express I don't have to do it all right now I can do it all but I can do it all over you know three years five years ten years and that's okay I wish I'd heard that a lot sooner earlier in my motherhood journey I felt that pressure right that society kind of tells us to get back to get back to all those roles and to do them perfectly too by the way so I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. Erica, where and how can people connect with you? And I want to ask if there is something you want to share with our listeners. So my website, which I think you'll have written, and Instagram is a great place. I write there a lot. So those are great places to connect. I have a retreat coming up in the spring by the time this airs I imagine it's going to be sold out we're down to one room right now already but stay tuned there might be another one in the fall that we're working on putting on the calendar and there will probably be some new courses coming out later this year so stay tuned for for what's to come pretty excited can you share a little bit of what those retreats are about and what they look like Sure. So it's very much what we're talking about. We, they're really retreats about knowing thyself, gnosis, as we like to say. I do them with my partner, Paul, who's a very talented sound practitioner and mystic. And we take people on this journey of self through the archetypal lens of the seven chakras. So each day we're exploring different themes in ways that we both tell you so your mind can feel at ease and in ways that we don't tell you so you can actually have the experience of embodiment without your mind getting in the way. It's a very transformational week. We often talk about plant medicine or a psychedelic journey without the psychedelics and 
We move through a lot of shadow work in the first half of the week as we move through those lower chakras. A lot of that old wounding, a lot of the past stuff that's unconsciously impacting us in the present. And then we turn this beautiful corner, the bridge of the heart, and we move into the upper centers and we start to move toward this greater vision of self and life. And people walk away feeling really seen, not only by us and the others in the group, but by themselves, new perspective. I think empowered to approach life with this awareness that at any given moment, we have seven different perspectives that we can apply to anything. And it really helps us navigate in new ways. Thank you. They do sound really beautiful. And I've seen some video snippets from them. And I really hope to attend one soon as well. Thank you so much, Eric. I really appreciate you taking the time today to sit and chat with me. And I feel like I definitely got a lot out of it. So I hope that our listeners did too. Thanks for having me and for doing this podcast, which I'm really excited to watch you blossom. 